On this first day, we'd like to make some understanding about the topic of whether the thing that Dhamma has to give is in line with your objectives in coming here. We're wondering why it is you've all come here, what your purpose is. And we're wondering if the Dhamma can give you that which you're looking for. So listen carefully and then you'll find out whether the Dhamma and what it has to offer is in line with your, your purposes. If it isn't, then we, or we hope that you come to understand this well. Otherwise, your coming here won't be of much value. It might just be a waste of time and it won't be worth the, your investment of energy, time, and even money which you have spent in coming here. So please listen carefully and find out if the Dhamma is what you're looking for. We'd like to look at the word happiness in discussing this matter. The kind of happiness that Dhamma has to offer is is a certain kind of happiness which we like to describe as the happiness which doesn't bite its owner. The happiness that people are getting and experiencing all over the place, this is a kind that, that bites and chews up its owners all the time. So we're wondering if you've gotten a little bit sick and tired of that happiness which bites its owner and are coming to look for the kind of happiness that doesn't bite its owner. The ordinary kind of happiness that people are getting, the kind that bites its owner, is always caught up with or concerned with positiveness and negativeness. And because of its being caught, caught up with, involved with positiveness and negativeness, then it causes all kinds of problems. And this is why we say it bites its owner. The happiness of Dhamma, however, is above, is beyond all influence of positiveness and negativeness. And so it can't bite its owner. This is what we'd like to look into now. If something has a positive aspect, then this leads to our liking and loving it and then our desires for it increase. And then we, we get into struggling and competing in order to get things. Or if we've already got them, this causes fear that, that we'll lose them. And so all kinds of hassles and problems come up because of our clinging to positive things. If the negative aspect of something leads to us disliking and, and hating it, and then we try to run away, but we can't. We can never really escape from these things. And so then there's, there's fear and anger and hatred. Either way, whether in a positive aspect or a negative aspect, this, this bites, this claws the mind. Another pair of words which we should look at are the words good, and evil or bad. 
things that are, are negative, are positive, we take to be good, and the things that seem negative, we take to be bad or evil. And then these things that are, are good, we want them and love them and go crazy about them. We become infatuated with the good. And this leads to a kind of craziness about goodness. Things that are bad or that we think are bad, this leads to anger and fear and frustration and all kinds of difficulties in a, in a negative way. And so the words good and evil are also other signs of this, this problem. With those of you who are Christians or are familiar with Christianity, we'd like you to understand the very first commandment of God that's, that's written down in the Bible. The commandment in the first part of Genesis where God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit that leads to the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them if they were to eat this fruit, then, that, then they would die. If you can understand the meaning of this very first commandment of God, then, then you won't have any problems in life. If you understand what is meant by not eating the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the fact that if we do eat it, that we will die. If you understand this, this is the best thing you can do for yourself. If one feels that something is good, then one attaches to that, that feeling, that idea of goodness, and then goes crazy about it, becomes infatuated with this, this idea or this, this goodness. And this causes a great deal of pain for the mind. If, on the other hand, something is taken to be bad, then we cause all kinds of problems for ourselves about it and create a lot of unreasonable and unnecessary suffering for ourselves. Both the good and the evil, or the negative and the positive, these bite, these claw. For example, when, when two dogs which aren't familiar with each other meet, they, they growl and, and bare their fangs at each other. This is because they're, they're both attaching to good way too much. The one is saying, hey you, what are you doing here? He said, don't come in, come onto my turf, don't come in, try and take away my, my good thing I've got here. When these dogs are attaching to good too much, then they can't be friends, they can't get along, and so they growl and bite and create all kinds of problems. Even, even dogs can, can have this problem. Or our, uh, our inability to truly love each other, to truly love our friends is, is similar. Because we cling too much to the good, we're we're not willing to let others be as good as us or to have, the, have good things as much, to be equal to us or to even be better than us. We're not, we're not willing to, to let this happen un, unless this friend 
helps us helps us ourselves to get better and better or be better and better. So all the envy and jealousy in the world has its origin in this clinging to goodness way too much. The communists are attached to good and the capitalists are attached to good. And then all the other different viewpoints on the political spectrum, they're all attached to good as well. So with all these political views clinging to their own version of good, they can never come to any agreement, can never work out anything. And so we've got a constant state of struggle and war between all these various political groupings because they're all so busy clinging to the good. Why is it that there's no peace in the world? Why can't all these different political groups and, and everything cooperate for once and bring, bring some genuine peace in the world? The reason is because each and every one of them is too busy clinging to the good. They're unable to cooperate, they're unable to work together to bring about peace because each is too busy, is too possessive to, to attach to its own good, its own benefit. And so they're, they're not willing to go about any genuine give and take and so there's no cooperation and therefore no peace. Or take the opposition in, in politics, in a parliamentary system or whatever. If the opposition, they just close their eyes and close their ears and blindly oppose everything the government is doing. They're always criticizing and complaining and trying to obstruct whatever the government tries to do. And there's, no, there's not much rationale to it. They just do it because they're clinging to their own version of good. And then, of course, the government, whoever's in power, They've got to protect their idea of good, their version, their own, their own good. And so if both sides are just locked in this, this very blind and foolish struggle of whoever's version of good is, is going to win out in this little situation, then the situation in that country steadily goes down the drain. And the economic and social situations get worse and worse. If the political groupings are just clinging to their own good, then there's no real progress and politics doesn't do anyone any good. And when this happens on a larger scale, then we've got strife spreading all over the world and growing problems everywhere we look. Or take the crudest example, all the various criminals and thieves and people who are busy running around stealing things and plundering things from others. This is because they themselves are attached to the good. They would like, they see the things that wealthy people have which they themselves aren't able to get. And then they get attached to this goodness. And then so they go around stealing and thieving in robbing. They've lost track of the proper way of life. They've, they've gotten lost because of this attachment to the good and so they become, they become criminals, thieves, very, very low characters. 
all because of attaching to the good too much. Another way to look at it is that that evil forces us into attaching or forces people to attach to the good. Evil or sin is the source of all kinds of problems and suffering. And so to avoid that, people go to the other extreme and attach to the good. If we see that the evil in this way is is the source of all kinds of problems, both on the positive and on the negative side, then we'll understand the, the problem, the foolishness of attaching to evil. So why is it that some some millionaires who've got so much money they can't even count it, they don't even know how much they've got, that they go and kill themselves? Why is it that some millionaires commit suicide? It's because they're way too attached to the good. And so they've got, they can't see anything else to do but kill themselves in spite of having more money than, than they know they know what to do with. If you understand how much influence the positive and the negative and good and evil have on us, have on human life, then you'll understand the, the great importance of this one sentence, this one single commandment of God that he gave to Adam and Eve. If you understand this point, if you understand this commandment of God and are willing to obey it, then there, there doesn't have to be any more commandments. There doesn't have to be a whole lot of other confusing things. Just to understand this one point is the heart of the matter. This one, <clears throat> one single sentence is is the most true or the highest truth. It's most correct. It's most profound. And it's most beneficial. If you understand just this one sentence, then you will also understand all you need to know about Buddhism. You'll understand the essence of Buddhism also in this single commandment of God. And then all you have to do is to practice according to this, this one sentence. If you take these, these words to be the actual words of God, then they're the most, they're the best, the most truthful, the most correct, and the most profound. If, however, you take them to be the, the writings of human beings, of, of the Hebrews, <clears throat> at that time in place. If it's just a reflection of the intelligence of the Hebrews then, well then it's still the best and the most true, the most correct and the most profound and most beneficial. It's the same whether you take it to be the words of God or the expression of certain Hebrew teachers who are just are saying, this is what God said. When, wherever you take take the source of it to be, it's, in this, <clears throat> it's nonetheless the most truthful, correct, and beneficial thing that you can understand. When we come down to the New Testament, <clears throat> Christ seems to be <clears throat> teaching people to, to go after the good, 
to, to cling to the good. And this is probably because the people at that time could no longer, no longer understand the wisdom of the Old Testament teaching that we've been, we've been talking about. And so Christ had to give them something more easy, something more childish, which they could, they could follow. But even so, you can still see where Christ was teaching to not, not to cling to the good. Whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you can find this, this message, don't, don't cling to the good. We've asked some of our Christian friends about this, and, and they say that they don't understand it in the way that we've been discussing. They say to them it's just a record of one instance where humanity was, was disobedient, was obstinate towards God, where Adam and Eve didn't follow one of God's commandments. This is all they see in this teaching, and so they don't have any interest in going beyond good and evil, in elevating their minds above good and evil. And so they don't, they don't take this, this commandment as seriously as we do. And then another chapter or two after that, I think it's chapter 4 of Genesis, it tells how one of Adam and Eve's sons became jealous of the other. The older brother became quite envious of his younger brother because their father loved the younger brother more due to a, a gift given by the younger son. And so the, the older brother, Cain, led his, the younger brother, Abel, off into the woods and killed him because of the, the envy that, that arose due to attaching to the good too much. And so this is, this is another example in the Bible of what happens when we cling to the good. This attaching to the good is the reason why this world now is so full of envy, envy and jealousy. All the different groups and parties and organizations and even religions are so envious of each other because of their clinging to the good, wanting to protect their own good. So nobody is able to really be friendly towards each other. Nobody can really get together and cooperate. They can't, they can't even smile a sincere smile at each other. There's very little genuine friendship in the world because there's so much envy arising from this attachment to the good. We aren't, we aren't really able to see each other as true comrades, friends who share the same basic realities of birth, aging, illness, and death. Instead, we're just grabbing for the good, clinging to the good, and we can't, we can't even be friends anymore. And now we've got a world that's, that's full of envy. When we see that this, this is the power of the good, this is what the good does, that it leads to this clinging and this, this drunkenness, then we begin to, begin to get interested in going beyond the good in being above its power. When we cling to the good too so much, when we cling to positive things, then the result is 
the most ugly and despicable thing that there is in the world. From all this clinging to the good, the thing that gets born out of it is what we call selfishness. This is something we don't have to explain to you. You all know the ugliness, the danger, and the harm of selfishness. But what nobody recognizes is where it comes from, that this selfishness that is causing so much damage, that is so disgusting in this world, comes from this clinging to the good. And so we, we need to look into this and find out how we can be free of this selfishness, how to get, get out from under the power of this, this really low and disgusting habit of mind. And this is why we need to see the power that the good has over us. None of the, the great prophets or founders of the world's great religions ever taught their followers to be envious or to harbor any hatred towards other religions. None of the, the great spiritual masters ever had this intention. But their followers in later years have become, become full of envy and in competition towards other religions. And so now we can see among the different religions all kinds of competition and struggle. And you even find plots where one group is trying to destroy or undermine other groups. You can see this all over the place. Although it was not in any way the original intention of the founders of any of the religions, but because these so-called disciples have clung to the good too much, they, they want to be better than the other religions. They want to, to have better this and more of that. And so this clinging to the good causes all kinds of problems among the religions. And so you can't, these different religions can't even smile at each other. They can't even smile together. And if we don't, if this is the state of affairs between religions, then how is it going to be among ordinary people? So we've got to get to the bottom of the, this problem from this clinging and grasping and attaching to the good to the positive. We have to get to the bottom of this and get free of it. None of the great religious masters ever disputed with anyone. They didn't get into quarrels and arguments. Instead, their, the purpose in all their religions was love, to enable humanity to love each other, to bring about universal love. You can find this in all the true religions. But the followers of these great teachers, they're either too stupid or who knows what, or they're somehow unable to get the point. And so they, and they cling to the good and they want to be better. And so this leads to all kinds of disputes, arguments, quarrels, and fighting among these different disciples, these different modern-day religions. This has nothing to do with the original intentions of the religion, but it gets dragged in because of this clinging to the good. And then the result is something that should never happen, something that has no business occurring in this world has taken place. And this really disgusting thing 
is wars between religions. Religious wars have taken place now because of this ignorant clinging to the good. So it's about time we got to the bottom of this, this problem. If we study very deeply into the Christian teachings, we'll see that the, <clears throat> the objective of Christianity is to transcend good and evil, to be above the influence of positive and negative. The Dhamma that is, that is taught by Buddhism also has the objective of raising the human mind above the all power and influence of good and evil. The purpose, the objective of both of these great religions is essentially the same. And so there's no need whatsoever for any, any argument, any conflict, any fighting, or any dis disagreement. They have at their heart this one same, same purpose. So this is why we, we take the time to, to help to bring about some understanding between the various religions, to, to see that there's no need for any disagreement or any fighting, to understand that essentially we have the same purpose, to, to help the human, to help all humanity get out from the terrible danger of the power of good and evil, and so that we can free ourselves of all selfishness. If we can patch up the conflicts and the problems between religions, then we can go a long way towards ending selfishness in this world. And this will help us to bring about a great deal more economic security and a great, more, great deal more political peace. Peace in the world will become a much, will sink its roots much deeper into human hearts if we can understand this point, if we can work together and get rid of, of selfishness. So we'd like you all to, to understand this, this point of the importance of the religions working together, of cooperating. So by now you should be able to understand that it's possible to come here and study the Dhamma and to practice meditation as it's taught in Buddhism without abandoning your, your original religion. We've been using the example of Christianity, but the same applies for whatever religion you, you have held in the past. There's no need to throw it away in order to study Buddhism here. You can practice the most profound truths of Buddhism. You can take up some mental training in a Buddhist way and still be following the, the deepest teaching of your, own, of your own religion. So you can remain a member of whatever religion it is that you, you choose and at the same time reap the fullest benefits from the study and practice of Dhamma. If you're, if you're a Muslim, you can trace back the, the Qur'an all the way back to the, these orig the original teachings of that one God. Those who are Christians can trace Christianity back to that same Old Testament in the book of Genesis. 
And of course, any Jews can do the same. Members of all three of these great religions can trace, trace their religious heritage back to this one teaching. And so then there's no problem of coming to a Buddhist monastery and, and studying here because this, this one essential teaching of all those three religions, the raising the mind, the developing the mind, lifting the mind above all influence of good and evil, this is also the heart of Buddhism, of the Dhamma. And so in all these religions we have this essential congruity. And so there's, there's no problem in coming, coming to a Buddhist monastery to further one's spiritual development. Or if you pick up the teachings of Lao Tzu, read, study Taoism, you'll see that the purpose is once again the same, to get completely free of the influence of good and bad. Or if you look at the Hindu teachings, if you go into the deepest teachings, they have the same objective, to be liberated from all vestiges of good and evil in order to, to realize Paramatman. All the religions, wherever you look, have this at the core. And so we'd like, we wanted to begin by making this, this very important point clear. So why is it that all the religions <clears throat> aim for, for the human mind to transcend the power of good and evil? The reason is because this, this clinging to good and evil is the source of all selfishness, is the cause of all the selfishness in the world. And this thing, selfishness, is at the heart of all our problems, all our difficulties. This selfishness is, is the true Satan or the Mara of, of India. Whatever you want to call it, this selfishness is at the root of all our problems. And so this is why it is necessary for all the religions to, to get to the heart of this, this thing, good and evil, to see how harmful its influence is, how, it, how this power of deception, it, it works upon the human mind, how it leads us into all this selfishness with which we're destroying the world. And so this is why all the religions are aiming for this one thing. This is a very fundamental point that we need to understand from the beginning of our, of our practice. So only, only by individuals eliminating selfishness in their, from their own hearts can there arise peace in the world. Society is made up of individuals and as long as there are, there's selfishness in the hearts of the individuals then there is not going to be peace in that society. To the degree that there are selfish individuals, to that degree there will be conflict and violence and crime in society. This is the only way that we can really bring about peace in the world is by destroying its enemy, which is selfishness. No matter how much social development or political change or revolution we have, no matter how much technological, scientific advances 
no matter how far how much food we make or how many new medical discoveries there are none of these things will ever bring peace the only thing that will bring peace is by destroying selfishness the selfishness that that lies in individual hearts imagine if through great economic skill or magical powers or something that we could bring about wealth in the world that was like there was gold raining down from the sky even if there was gold raining down from the sky from for whatever reason if people were still selfish there would not be any peace even if there was gold all around on the ground for us to pick up at will then the selfish ones would be would be gathering it and hoarding hoarding it and preventing others from getting any and then there would be the the selfish lazy ones running around stealing and thieving from others and so if there was selfishness no matter how abundant the wealth there would still be no peace those some would be deprived and others the ones who got all the gold that they wanted they wouldn't be able to sleep at night they'd be so worried about protecting their their hoard so even if we could bring about a miracle of gold raining down from the sky as long as there was selfishness left then there would there would still be no peace even if we had we could develop the political situations have the the best political system or political theories or who knows so that there were no political problems if this population the citizens were still selfish then there would still be no peace there'd still be conflict argument and crime in societies the opposition and the government parties would still be fighting and clawing at each other no matter how good a system even if we had the perfect a flawless political system that selfishness in people would still would still prevent any peace even if we had the most powerful military possible such that we act, we could control and dominate the entire world still if there were selfish people there would be no peace even if we had the biggest most powerful military it could never bring any true peace to the world or let's let's turn back to looking at these things they call religion and the the ordinary religion that's full of ceremonies and rituals and those kind of things imagine if we took buddha images and stuck them all over the place we just crammed the world full of buddha images or maybe we took crosses and just filled up every nook and cranny of the world with crosses buddha images crosses or menorahs or who knows what still filling the world with all these so-called religious holy objects would still never keep people from being selfish and so filling up the world with such things would never bring any peace or you can print as many bibles as you want or as many of the buddhist tipitikas as you want and pass them out and spread them all over and fill up all the hotels and everything in the world with bibles and tipitikas and other scriptures you're still not going to get any real peace peace is only going to come 
when people give up selfishness, when people can free themselves from selfishness. And then peace will, will appear all by itself without having to go all the trouble of printing up scriptures or sticking Buddha images all over the place. Peace will, will come all by itself if we can destroy this, this selfishness. And so if we're unselfish, then there will be peace automatically, even if there weren't any of these Buddha images or crosses or Bibles or, or Tipitikas or Bhagavad Gita's or who knows what. If people would just stop being selfish, if we could be free of selfishness, then there would be peace without, without all those things. So if one practices in order to eliminate selfishness, if one is meditating or studying or practicing with the purpose of getting rid of all selfishness, then one is following the spirit of all the religions. This is, this is what all religion is about and there's nothing else. It all comes down to trying to live in a way that is completely unselfish. So if you come here to Su and Mok, we want you to understand this, this basic point. We hope that in coming here you, you come with this, this intention, this objective. This is the only thing that matters. Doing any nifty ceremonies or having special techniques or who knows what doesn't matter. All that counts is getting rid of selfishness, being free of selfishness. This is what all the religions are teaching. And this is what we're most concerned with here at Suan Mok. The system of training that's called Anapanasati Pawana, which means the, the mental development through mindfulness on the mindfulness with the breathing in and breathing out. This system of training is a complete system that will enable us to attack all the problems that we've been talking about. It's an, a thorough way of getting to know selfishness, our basic problem. And then finding out, getting to the bottom of the cause of this selfishness. And then Anapanasati will, will give us the tool with, that we can use to destroy all selfishness. And then there will be the liberation from all the power and influence of good and evil, of positive and negative. All of these are included within the system that we call mindfulness with breathing mental development. This is something we, we feel important to point out, that everything that we need is contained in this one system of, of training, and we'd like you to, to be familiar with it. Through, through following this, this training of anapanasati correctly and by being successful in this practice, you will come to a point where the mind is free of all the power of good and evil. The mind can, get, can liberate itself from all this mess and confusion if this system is applied correctly and sufficiently. So this, this is the point of taking up meditation. In doing so, we then can free ourselves 
of all the problems we have in life. As long as the mind is getting lost or caught up in any aspect of good or evil, positive or negative, there's going to be hassles and problems and confusion and conflict. But this mindfulness with breathing gives us a means to free ourselves from all that and so that we're free of all these problems and conflicts. And so then, if you've ever wondered what it is, what it is you're doing here, why, why you have been born, what's, what's the point of human life, what are we doing here walking around on this planet, whether we arise, you think God has put you here, and you're wondering what, what is the meaning or the purpose God has given to our lives, or whether you see it as arising out of nature due to natural causes under the power of Dhamma. Whichever way you see it, why not we hope that you can understand that the real purpose and meaning of our lives is, is in realizing genuine happiness. This happiness when the mind is completely liberated from all the power of good and bad. The genuine happiness when there is no problem left in our lives. This is the happiness that we mentioned earlier the happiness that doesn't bite its owner. Is this, is this your purpose in living, in being here on this planet? But now in your ordinary lives today, what, how is it? What are your lives like? Are our lives, the lives of everyone, is full of attachments to good and bad, dominated by all these positive and negative attachments? And then so our lives are full of problems. Every one of you who's, who's listening here have lives who are full of problems, full of burdens, full of ha hassles, full of pains and full of suffering because of this, this clinging to positive and negative. Is this, is this your situation in life? We're not telling you. We're asking you to take a good look and see if this is the case or not in your own life here here today what's happening if you're interested if you've seen the the real condition and situation in your life if you'd like the dhamma is a way to sublimate all that attachment to good and evil and then to transform it or turn it into what we could call a new life to be free of that old life that is full of pain and hassles and conflict in order to come across a new life that has no problems, that is completely free of all suffering in conflict. This is what the Dhamma is about in order to experience this new life and its happiness that doesn't bite or scratch or claw. Please take a very good look at your own life and see what's going on and see what you ought to do about it. Really, there's no such thing as a new life or an old life. These are just words we come up with to try to make a point. In reality, there's just life that is correct and life that is incorrect. But for most of us, all we know is the life that is incorrect, that's full of problems and pains. And so when we meet the life that is free of those problems, it seems to be something completely new, we think we're reborn or something. 
but really there's no such thing as a new life. It just seems that way. But once we understand it and learn about it, we'll see that it's just a matter of life either being correct or incorrect. When we learn about this more and more and are able to live our lives correctly, then we find this life that is above all, all problems. In the language of Dhamma, we say that it's above the world. And what this means is being above or beyond the problems of the world. Of course, we have to live in the world. There's only, there's only this world. It's the only one we've got. But to be above it is to be free of this, the problems found within it. In doing so, the mind then, we then find the best thing that human beings ought to get. There's this one thing which is the point and goal of our lives. And this is the thing we ought to get before we die. The best, the best way, the best system is one that allows us to get the most investment, most out of our investment in life. We can see that, that life is our basic capital that we're given either by nature or if you believe in a God, you can say that's given by God. Nature gives us this life, it's our basic stake, our basic capital that we begin with. But we can say that God gives us this capital. And then we invest it in order to, to make a little business to, in the business of life. And when we make our investment in the business of life, our goal is, of course, to make a profit, to run this business as best we can in order to get the most profit we can out of it. We're all given basically the same capital to begin with, but it's interesting to see who, who can get any real profit from it. Most of you haven't gotten any profit out of life yet. You've, you've got the basic capital, but still haven't learned how to make a profit from it. Even worse, most of you are operating in debt. Some of you are, are terribly in debt. You are just frittering away this capital and don't know what you're going to do about it. <laughs> so this is one thing that we can look at and find out the way of living, the system of practice, of training, that can enable us to get out of debt and then start to make a profit in life and then see if we can make a higher and higher, a bigger and better return on our investment. Anapanasati, mindfulness with breathing, is the best system of training we know of to enable us to, to get the most profit from our basic investment. The highest profit we can get out of life, the best we can do with our, our investment, is to, to realize the life that is, is beyond positive and beyond negative, that is completely free of, of good and bad. We ought to constantly remind ourselves of this teaching back in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, where God makes this point very clearly. If we can understand this, then we'll see most of all what we need to do in life. And then we've got certain tools, certain systems of training in order to, to make, to realize this, this profit from life. If you examine carefully in your, your ordinary experiences, 
you'll see that happiness that comes and goes all the time is not really peaceful. It, it bothers, it disturbs the mind. It's not a truly peaceful thing. And the sorrow that we experience off and on is also not peaceful. It disturbs and bothers the mind. If you watch carefully both sorrow and happiness, they keep us from sleeping at night. They, they prevent us from be tru being truly at peace. To be really free is to be free of both this, this happiness and this sorrow. This is just a little simple example of the life that is beyond all influence of positive and negative. You, we encourage you to, to turn your life in this direction, to take this as your aim and purpose, to get the most benefit of life, by, by getting free, by transcending all good and all evil. So gladness is not peace and sadness is not peace. Laughter is not peace. Crying is not peace. Take a look at the laughter that people are so, so attached to that they think is so important. You can go on laughing until you die. It's just, just a kind of craziness. There's no real peace. Or, or truth in it. It's just, it's just a waste of time. All these things, gladness and sorrow, laughter and tears, happiness and suffering, none of these, none of these are peaceful. We ought to find something that's free of all these, these extremes, something that is truly, truly peaceful. Sometimes we say that to get free of both heaven and hell. Heaven, hell is obviously not peaceful, but neither is heaven. Heaven is just as much a waste of time as hell. We ought to find something that is really at peace. This is to transcend all positive and all negative. For example, in war, winning is, is not peace and losing is not peace. For there to be real peace, one has to be above both the winning and the losing has to be beyond it. Profit and debt, neither of these are, are peaceful. Getting and losing, neither of these are at all peaceful. Any of these little extremes, you can't find any real peace in them. The only true peace is getting out from their influence, out from their power, being beyond them and above them. or being wealthy. There's no peace in that. There's no peace in poverty. Most people, they want to be wealthy. They like to have lots of possessions. But it's all just a mess. It's all just a bunch of burdens and hassles, having possessions, having property and wealth. There's no peacefulness in being wealthy, even though that's what most, most foolish people want. And there's no peacefulness in being poor. Real Real peace is in being free, being beyond both wealth and poverty. All of these things are nothing but problems for us. The real solution is in going beyond them, being free of all of their power and influence. Love is not peaceful, and then, of course, anger and hatred are not peaceful. But most people, they really like love. They're really crazy about it. They think it's the best thing there is and they worship it. But truly love and hate, neither of them 
are peaceful. When we love something, it, it cooks up our minds, it dominates our minds, it possesses our minds. It's just another kind of attachment to the good, being trapped in something positive. And so in the end, love makes us crazy, it makes us, it makes us stupid. True peace is in neither love nor hatred, but is in being beyond both love and hatred. So this is, this is the matter that we're constantly talking about. To, to transcend all these things in order to find the real peace. If we keep chasing after love, clinging to love, we're never going to find any real peace in life. Only by letting go of love and letting go of all hatred and anger can we find real peace, lasting peace. All of these things we've been talking about, good, bad, positive, negative, loving and hating, getting and losing, winning and being defeated, all of these things just stimulate the mind. They just cook up the mind. They concoct the mind. They keep the mind spinning. They're always pushing and pulling on the mind, dragging it here, kicking it there, pushing it around, depressing it, cooking it up, stewing it constantly over and over again. This is what's going on all the time with, with all these things. Even the best things like love are still constantly spinning the mind around, and so it never finds any peace. The only peace is to be free of these, to let go of them. And only this peace, this peace that is completely free of all these conditions, only that peace is the, the thing that we can truly say is the best thing that human beings ought to get in life. There's, there's one last problem that we should look at. It has to do with the word good. We've got a problem here now. We're, we're talking, we're saying that we need to get beyond good and bad to get out from under their power. But in the world that we live in, everybody's talking about doing good, being good. And so how are we going to manage in such a place? This is probably something some of you have been, been wondering about. The solution to this problem is to, first of all, understand that we, the only true freedom is in being free of good and bad, in going beyond good and evil. But still, we can talk about being good or getting good or having good, doing good, but we need to understand that word, this word good correctly. If you use the word good with the meaning of something that is the opposite of bad, if good is merely the opposite of evil, that's not true good. That's still a fake and false deceptive good. The real good, true good, doesn't have an opposite. So the, the real good, the truest good, is beyond both the ordinary good and beyond, beyond all evil as well. If we understand this point, then, then we, can, we can communicate in the ordinary way. We can talk about doing good, being good, but we should understand that the real good is beyond all good and all evil. This, this understanding will enable us to, to find genuine peace and happiness in our lives. These words are just things we, we have to use to communicate in the world, and then they have their worldly meanings that people get, get lost in. 
in Buddhism, it also talks in these ordinary ways. And so you can find the teaching that we should abandon all evil and then do, do good. But then in Buddhism, this doing of good is not the final goal. Doing good is merely a basis for transcending good. So in Buddhism, the full teaching is letting, good of e- letting go of evil, abandoning evil, doing good in order to transcend the good. And we've already transcended the evil. This is, this is complete. If we just get stuck at the level of doing good, then we're still stuck in a lot of problems. And we haven't gone as far as we really could. could and we're still locked in the ordinary way of looking at things. We have to use these words. We have to use this word such as good. It's how we speak and communicate. But we shouldn't have a childish understanding of good that merely opposes it to bad or evil. To use this word properly, we have to understand that the good is the real good when we're talking about Dhamma is beyond all good and all evil. And so we need to set about getting free of, of all good and all evil. And then we still to call, we have to call it something. And so we, we use this ordinary word, good. It's just the limitations of language that we have to talk in this way. We have to call it something. And so we say the real good or genuine good or true good. This is just how we speak, the limitation of, of language. This life which is beyond all good and evil, it may seem like something new to those of you who've never heard about it or never experienced it, but really it's something completely ordinary. It's perfectly natural. It's the truly natural life. It's the way things, just the way things are according to nature. But for most of us, our lives are still a bit childish, sometimes even even infantile. We're always getting stuck in the good. We're constantly clinging, attaching to the good because it tastes good. These things that are good, they're delicious, they're attractive, and so we grab onto them, we cling onto them, we try and hoard them. This is, this is still a very childish way of, of going about things. But this is how it is for most of us. If we'd like to truly grow up and be, be truly adult human beings, we need to give up this childish foolishness and get free of both these delicious, positive things and then the, the negative things. This is, this is what we, we ought to interest ourselves in once we start to grow up a bit. And so finally we... We wish all of you success, the, the best success in coming here in order to, to find the life that is above good and above evil. We hope you are completely ses- successful in your objective. So at this point, we'll, we'll end today's talk. And we'd also like to thank, thank you all for being such good, good listeners. So this is all for today.